0: Praise God. This morning I'd like to uh, go down a familiar path, something we've, uh, as, as believers, many believers know well, many believers hang on to. Sometimes when you read something enough, or sometimes when you quote something enough, um, there is an air of otherworldliness to it, like it's, like I know it so well that I, I I I don't think about it as much anymore, and I want you to think about this, and I want you to consider that God has laid out a plan for his church, which goes beyond merely um, meeting together once or twice a week and having, um, you know, love feasts and things like that, having, you know, meals together, things like that. There's something bigger for the church. There's something bigger for you, and there's no such thing as a professional Christian, There may be ministers that say, this is my full-time job, but that does not make them more inclined to be able to be used by God than than you. That doesn't mean, so if, if somebody's a minister like myself, and we get up here and we've been called to preach and to teach, I take my instructions very clearly and seriously from the book of Ephesians that says my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm not the only one. God is using me as a, as a small part, but he uses other gifts in the body to do that, to equip you for the work of ministry, which tells me this isn't the ministry. This is a ministry. It's part of the ministry. It's, it's a big part of the ministry, but this isn't your ministry as much as the ministry that's meant to take place out there. There's such a ministry in Lloyd Minster waiting for you. There's such a ministry in Macklin waiting for you. There's a ministry that God has set aside for you, and I want to remind you what he says in the book of Ephesians. He says that before you were born again, you used to walk according to a certain pattern, according to a course of this world. And it says that course was laid out by the prince and the power of the air, which is another way of saying Satan. That the world is walking on a path, and it's not God's path. It's not God's course. But it says now that you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared you for. And he has, or sorry, he has prepared for you. So he's prepared two things. He's prepared you because you're his workmanship. He, you're his craftsmanship. You're his masterpiece. He designed you. Now, he designed you. The scripture says he, he saw you when you are in your womb, mother's womb. He saw you before you were even born. But in Ephesians, the real workmanship that we're talking about are not your natural skills and abilities. The real workmanship we're talking about is what he crafted in you when you were born again. Something new came in you. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, Old things, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. And he says, behold, new things have come. And we've talked about this before. You've got to think that there are new things. And it says in the next verse, and all these things are from God, who has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So those new things that have come are part of the ministry of reconciliation. What's the ministry of reconciliation? We'll talk about this on Wednesday night in a couple weeks. But the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of bringing people back to God. All of us were separated from God. From the very beginning, sin separated us. And Jesus bridged that gap. And through Jesus, we can be reconciled to God. So the ministry of reconciliation, this is your, this is a big call in your life is to bring people back to that place of nearness with God. Now you can't do that until you first are reconciled with God, right? Jesus reconciles you. You're now in him and he's in the father and the father's in you. That's wonderful. And so we take that very seriously, and we cherish the fact that we are reconciled to God, and so we have that relationship with Jesus that we don't just take for granted, but we, we, we stay in it, we abide in him, and we bear much fruit. So if my ministry is reconciliation, if that's a big part of our ministry, a big part of our life, then he says those new things that he gave you from God are part of that ministry. And in Ephesians 4, he says, he has prepared good works for you to walk in. He prepared you, and he prepared the things you're going to do. Now, your job is just to say, yes, Lord, I'll walk in the path you've prepared for me. Yes, Lord, when I see the good works you prepared for me, I'll recognize that that might be something I never could have done before. But if you put it in my path, I am equipped to do this. I am anointed to do this. And you don't run away from it. Oh, guys, you're going to find out that the first time you do anything for the Lord, is you're going to feel incredibly unqualified. The first time I got up to, got up to preach, I, I didn't feel unqualified as, as, as if my life wasn't in order, but I felt unqualified as if I couldn't stand up and talk for that long in front of people the very first time you have somebody come up to you that says, I have an extreme pain in my back. I hear you're a Christian. Would you pray for me? There's going to be a voice that says, "Uh uh-oh. But you know that's not God's voice. And you know that you don't listen to that voice. You listen to the voice of the Word. And you know that that may be something God has prepared for you to walk in. That God put that person in your path so that you would line right up and run smack into them and be the hand of Jesus in their life. God's prepared these things. Now, a lot of times, if your spiritual eyes aren't open, if you're not not listening to the voice of God, if you're not sensitive to his spirit, you'll walk on by these things. And in fact, sometimes you'll take a detour and purposely walk around them because you're afraid. And I never want that to happen to you. Here's the answer. Be led by the spirit of God. For those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So walk after the Spirit. Listen to that voice. In the book of Acts, and we're going to go to chapter 2, like I said, this is very familiar, but familiar shouldn't be taken as common. We honor the Word of God. We're just going to talk very simply. This isn't going to be complicated this morning. Some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. It's not going to be complicated. It's going to be very simple this morning. We're going to talk about what the church looks like when it's full of the Spirit. Can we we think about that? Do we want to be full of the Spirit? Do we want to be a church that Jesus can recognize? Yes. When I say a church, I don't just mean this one. I mean the church is in the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, you know that Acts chapter 2 is full of uh, it starts out with a bang there's a group of apostles and disciples of jesus christ that gathered together i want to tell you a couple of things that happened you know that they were all a little bit cowardly when jesus was crucified right they all ran away and hidden in, hid in people's houses and just tried to stay out of sight but then jesus rose from the dead a couple of things happened Some women saw it first, but they came back and told the men, and the men didn't really believe them. So then the men had to go. You ever read this story about the two guys on the road to Emmaus? Do you know the scripture says they weren't just two guys, they were two disciples? Now whether or not they were two of the 12 or two of the 70, I don't know. But they were two disciples of Jesus Christ, and they were sad. And when Jesus asked them why they were so sad, what had been, what had been happening, they said, you, what are you, have you been living under a rock? Don't you know what's been going on? They told him, you know, he's been crucified. And they're still sad. And the scripture says, I mean, they're telling Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus, but they're telling Jesus on the road, the women came back and told us he'd risen from the dead and that they saw an angel. Then some of the disciples, Peter, John, they ran. They came back and told us the tomb was empty. And they're still sad. There's something very wrong with that, isn't there? But then Jesus revealed himself to them and to others. He had a meal with them. He had more than one meal with them. He spent 40 days with these guys, building them up encouraging them, proving he was alive. He said, if you need to touch me, touch me. I'm as real, I'm not just a ghost. I am flesh and bone, feel this. And so then, before he ascends to the Father, he says, wait for me in Jerusalem. Wait for me there. Wait for me, and I will come, and I will send my comfort. I'll send my spirit. And he says in Acts 1.8, and you will be... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. And so they go and they they wait in the upper room, this upper room of somebody's house. It says 120 of them were there when the day the, the Holy Spirit came and filled them. Now Jesus didn't tell them how long to wait. He just told them wait. Have you ever noticed that it says they were taking their meals up there? They were sleeping there. I mean, if Jesus told you to wait in a room and I'm coming to visit you, and he doesn't give you a time, you just stay there. You find a good spot and you stay. You, you, I mean, somebody says, well, you want to just take a quick trip down to the market? No, you can go. I'm staying. I don't want to miss this. Can you imagine being one of the people that just kind of got tired, decided to say, I'll be back in a couple days. I'm just going to take care of some business. And the day he leaves is the day the Holy Spirit comes and fills everybody. Wouldn't you be kind of bummed out that that happened? you should be kind of ripped off. That happened while I was gone. As far as I know, none of them did that because they all just stayed. And then the Holy Spirit came and filled them up. And these guys who were cowardly became bold. Peter preaches a great message in Acts chapter 2. And the 11 other uh, apostles stood with him. There are 11 and not ten, because when Judas betrayed Jesus, there was a hole there, a gap, and that, that gap was filled by another man, another disciple of Jesus, before the day of Pentecost so that 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 circle was was made whole again, and as as Peter is preaching his message, and the eleven are standing behind him, then He doesn't take it easy on these guys. We've said that before. This is Jerusalem, the city that crucified Jesus, the city that Peter was too ashamed to even say he was associated with Jesus. And now Peter is preaching a bold message, and it's not a pandering message. It's not a, well, you know, let's just call it even, and let's let bygones be bygones. He gets up there, and he goes, you did it. You crucified him. You crucified the Lord of glory. You guys did. He didn't say, let's blame it on the Italians. He said, you did it. But he says he's offering forgiveness and repentance. He's full of the Spirit, and this is the kind of thing that happens when you're full of the Spirit. You tend to just do things you wouldn't normally do. So, at the end of this sermon, that's where we're going to start. In verse 37, he just finishes his sermon. And he finishes it with these words, this Jesus whom you crucified. Doesn't ease up on him. In verse 37, he says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? I love that. Because my, my experience is this, that when you're preaching the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, there is always a response. It may be a negative response, it may be a positive response, but people can't stay neutral when they are confronted with a risen Savior. They're forced to make a decision of some sort. I don't want to live my life straddling the fence, leaving people in a place of comfort. Now, I want people to be comforted. I believe the Holy Spirit is the comforter. I like that. But I don't want to spend my life just trying not to rock the boat. I want to Say what the Spirit says. I want you to say what the Spirit has you say. And know that when you really preach Jesus, and you present Jesus, not yourself, not your church, but you present Jesus, people are forced to come to terms with what they believe about Jesus. And you know that the Holy Spirit's working on their heart. And here it says they felt pierced to the heart. Do you know what that piercing was? That was the Holy Spirit piercing past their prejudice, piercing past their uh, preconceived notions piercing past whatever might have kept them from hearing and it went straight to their heart and with these guys it caused them to repent in in a few chapters in acts chapter 7 it's that same feeling causes the pharisees to get very angry but it always causes something and these men were pierced to the heart and they said brethren what should we do you know this is the first time they've heard this what do we do And in verse 38, this is wonderful, Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, thank God that includes us. As many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. This is a big thought because the beginning of the church started with an exhortation the first converts that got these are the first ones that got saved that hadn't been with jesus these are the first ones to come to jesus who didn't know him after the flesh these are the first ones to hear really the gospel message and the first one of the first things over and over that they hear at the beginning at the start of the brand new church is this be saved from this perverse generation isn't this interesting? We know that Jesus saved us from hell. Thank God. I'm really glad about that. But I want to tell you that he also wants to save you, and it's not just save you eternally, it's not just save you in, in as, as far as your destination when you die or he comes back. He wants to save you from the system and the world that you've been so marinated in. He wants to save you from a twisted generation. What does that mean? Guys, we got to wake up to the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his son. If God loved them that much, I've got to love them that much. I love those people. I love the people that don't know Jesus. I have a love for them, and that love drives us to tell them the good news. But you know what? You don't have to love the system, you don't have to love the attitude. Because the book of 1 John says, Don't love the world. Know the things that are in the world. So, how can we say the same guy that wrote the book that quoted Jesus saying, God so loved the world, is the guy that's saying, don't love the world? How do those things line up? Well, one, the world that God loved were the people. The world that you're not supposed to love is the system out there, is the way of thinking, is the culture. You know what I'm saying? When you turn on your TV and there's an agenda being pushed at you. When you look at the billboards and there's an agenda being pushed at you. When you open a magazine and there's an agenda from all sorts of things, trying to get you to compromise your values, trying to get you to put priorities where they shouldn't be, trying to get you to think that you're something different than you are. Jesus wants to save you from that pull you out so you're not listen if the generation and we're we're still in a perverse generation right if it's twisted if the world's kind of twisted then until you're rescued out of that you're twisted too right once you're rescued out of that he straightens you out thank god he puts you back in that twisted world to be a light as philippians says to be a light in a wicked perverse generation he puts you back in there to be the light in the darkness don't you know you might not fit in as well because you're the one you to them you're twisted if you ever had somebody say that to you you're so what, i don't even get you i don't get what you guys believe i understand that it's a leap but man The difference between believing in in not only a God who created the universe and hold us together, but a, a man named Jesus who came as the Son of God, who came as the Son of Man and the Son of God together and died and rose again, that might change some things about what we believe. So yeah, we are a little bit different. He says, be saved. In other words... Come out as as, G, as the God said in the Old Testament, and then reaffirmed in the New Testament. Come out, be separate. Now, when He said come out and be separate, He doesn't mean go away, start a start a, a commune somewhere, and never 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 talk to anybody again. No, because He said Jesus said, "I'm not taking them out of the world. I'm not asking that you take them from the world. I'm asking that you keep them from the evil one." He says, "Come out and be separate." What does that mean? That means in a place that's twisted, you become untwisted. In a place that's contaminated, you became clean through Jesus. In a place that was full of hate, you became full of love. Not the love like the world knew it, but love from God that loves no matter what. That doesn't love based on what you get, but loves because God is love. Be saved. From this wicked and perverse generation. Be saved from the twisted system. Be saved from the way of thinking like everybody else thinks. Be saved. That's how the church started. Full of the Spirit and exhorted to think different, to come out of the world and be the chosen people of God. And he says this in verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. (laughs) Started with 120. That day, in one day, the church grew from 120 to 3,000. Could we be possibly thinking too small? Go well, it'll be gradual. Why not? Why can't God do this again? Do you know what it's going to take? It's going to take you preaching the gospel outside of the church. Stop just preaching to the choir and go out there and preach to the people that actually need to hear it. That might be what it takes, but I guarantee the same spirit that was in Peter is in you. It goes out, and 3,000 are born again. And it says there were added about 3,000 souls. That means that that there was a definite addition there. There wasn't just, well, we think that were there about 3,000. No, 3,000 became active members of the church. It wasn't just 3,000 that raised their hand. They were baptized. They became part of the church. And it says this, they were continually devoting themselves you know what continually means that you might be tempted to let up. there wasn't a season of devotion it was continuous continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer do you see these things are important the first thing they were devoting themselves to was getting fed the word was being taught then they were being devoted to to fellowship. Now, this word fellowship doesn't just mean hanging out together, but it also means that they were sharing together, that they were um, counting. I mean, if somebody had a need, that need was being met. And it says to the breaking of bread. That means they were hanging out together, eating together, and to prayer. These are big things. Verse 43, and everyone... Kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind to the temple, in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. What I love, in verse 43, it says everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Don't you love that sense of awe? And it's easy to lose it if you take for granted what God's done. If, you, if, you're, if you're just kind of slipped into routine Christianity, He just kind of slipped into going through the motions. You lose that sense of awe, but there was a sense of awe amongst them. And you know what? They were making room for the kind of things that bring awe. They were making room for God to do great things. I mean, these guys were continually saying, I want to hear more of the word. They were continually saying, let's get together and encourage one another. They were continually sharing. They were continually praying. Sometimes we flip it and go, if I felt a sense of awe, if cool stuff was happening, I'd be here every day. But that's flipped. The awe was there. The signs and wonders were there because they had devoted themselves to something. We've talked about this before. Some of our friends, the brothers and sisters that we admire over in some of the areas of the Philippines that we've gone to, I know Philippines is a very diverse Nation, it's, it's not just one place, but the place we've gone to. What we've noticed with the ministers that God's connected us with is this they're seeing miracles all the time. Churches are being People are being born again all the time. But one thing we noticed and talked about just recently is you know what? This is like the biggest thing in their life. That's the biggest thing in their life. It's not like a hobby, it's not a side thing. It's not like hockey on the weekends. Like, this is the biggest thing. The kingdom of God is it. They have a job, but the job's not their purpose in life. Their job enables them to have something to give and to provide for their family and provide for other people. That's what the job's there. But the job is secondary to the kingdom of God. It's no wonder that, that there's an explosion of growth. It's no wonder. They're committed. They're devoted to it. It's the most important thing. kept feeling a sense of awe and many signs and wonders are taking place and then it says they're sharing and, and they had needy people and they took care of them they made sure people were taken care of and you know what there, if you went further into the, into the New Testament you'd find out that there were, there were regulations for that that they figured out ways to, to, to do that properly that, that they had a system where widows which you know now uh, in Canada, widows are, have, you know, there's pensions, there's life insurance, there's, you can still get a job. But in that day and age, you have to understand, uh, if you were a woman, you just couldn't go out and get a job most of the time. There were some that did some sewing, like, like Dorcas, Lydia. The, there were people that uh, had some businesses and things like that. But for the most part, a widow couldn't just go out and start work in the fields. It was a different culture. It was a different society. And so a lot of times, if your husband died, you, you became very poor. That's why all through the Bible, God says I, he had such a heart for widows and orphans because a lot of times they were the ones that were neglected in society and they just, they just were homeless. Or if they had a home, they were like that widow that, that the prophet visited who was, who was g- about to die of starvation. I mean, you gotta think, would, would that happen in our society, somebody about to die of starvation? I, don't th- I think that'd be very hard to happen in Canada. In fact, I think we'd hear about it all over the news if somebody died of starvation. But it was happening then. And the church started feeding these widows. In fact, they had a system of taking care of them. But the widows had a responsibility too. It wasn't just a welfare system. said if the w- widows are going to be on the widows list and get fed then we've got a purpose for them, too. They're going to be taking care of people at their house. They're going to be at the church praying. They're going to be our prayer warriors. There was a system for that. For, for, for those that were, you know, put out of work and, 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 you know, needed help, they would give these people help. But then the Apostle Paul said, if this guy is unwilling to work, he says, don't let him eat. So they had a system set up. But if you look at the secular historians, these aren't Christian historians, but secular Roman historians, you find out that the early church had a system of taking care of the poor that shook the whole government. Like, they weren't used to this. It shifted everything. All of a sudden, the poor were being taken care of. Romans, you know, the, the Roman Empire didn't have a system for that, but the church was the first to do that, to take care of the ones that couldn't take care of themselves. And all that came not because they were trying to be more socially conscious. All of of that came because they were filled with the Holy Spirit with love for one another. It was wonderful. This is how the church began. You know, the church wasn't, just didn't start out with a whimper and someday hoping that it would end with a bang. The church started out with a bang. Now, guys, we're going to look a little different from the early church. It's a different time. But from what I read in the Scripture, we are not supposed to be less powerful. We're not supposed to be, have less of the Spirit or less signs and wonders. In fact, if the Scripture says anything, it's that in the last days, the former and the latter reign comes together that the things we see are greater than any other generation. So the early church is not our goal. It's our minimum standard. That's where we got to start. Not copying everything. We understand that we're in a different time. But there are some things that we hold true. Continually devoting ourselves to being taught the word hasn't changed. Continually breaking bread together hasn't changed. Praying hasn't changed. Sharing with those that have need hasn't changed. Giving hasn't changed. These are things that started and were meant to carry through the church. And then I love this. Day by day in verse 46, they were continuing with one mind in the temple. So not only were they meeting in each other's houses, but they were going to the temple. And day by day with one mind. You know, sometimes in North America, it's difficult to get everybody on the same page. But you know, when you're continually devoting yourselves to hear, to being taught together, and to praying together, and to spending some time together, you tend to be of one mind. Because what you're being taught is affecting your life, and what you're praying out. God is setting a goal for you, is setting a path for you in the Spirit. And when you're praying together, you tend to be on the same page. They were on the same page, going into the temple, continuing from house to house, eating. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. That means it wasn't a show, it wasn't an act. They genuinely loved each other. It says this, they were praising God. Now let's talk about that for a moment. Because to us, praising God is singing some songs together or saying praise the Lord together. But you know that's not what praising God really means. That No, we praise God through songs. Yes, we do. We praise God by... Uh, by openly talking about him, you know, in a church service and saying, thank you, Lord, we bless you, we, we praise you for all that you've done, for setting us free, all of that. But the kind of praising God that we're talking about here, and we talked about it on Palm Sunday, is about publicly, publicly praising him. Now let's talk for a moment, and I know I've used this illustration before, but for the sake of those who haven't heard this, we're going to just remind you what, what it means to praise God. When I say praise the Lord, now that sounds like the beginning of like a cheesy like hip-hop thing. When I say praise, you say Lord, praise Lord, praise Lord. That's not what we're doing. Most of you are not familiar with this, so that's okay. (laughs) This is not what we're doing, so it's cool. Uh, When I say praise the Lord, often the response is praise the Lord. And that's good. It's good, nothing wrong with that. But you know, in the Psalms where you hear the phrase, praise the Lord more than anything, it's a command of the people to start praising the Lord. And as I've said before, to praise him means to speak about the things that he's done, about who he is. So if all you ever say is praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, at some point you need to start praising him because I can talk to Jared and go, Jared, I'm talking to you. Talk to you, Jared. Talk to you. Talk to you quietly, Jared. Talk to you loudly, Jared. Talk to you happy, Jared. Talk to you, talk to you, talk to you. And I'm not actually talking to him. I can say, praise Jared. Praise that Jared. I'm going to praise Jared. I'm going to talk about the good things he's done. I'm going to talk about him. Praise I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him in front of you people. Praise him. Well, I got to praise him at some point, right? So if I went up, now, Jared doesn't want to be praised. He wants to give the praise to God, so understand this is for illustration, you know. But if I went up to Jared and said, Jared, oh, man, guys, look at this shirt. Isn't that a great shirt Jared's wearing? You know, I just love how Jared praises the Lord. Jared Jared takes notes better than anybody. Look at these notes. Do you know what I'm doing? I'm praising him. I'm saying more than praise Jared. I'm actually talking about what's praiseworthy about him. So when we talk to God, when we praise God, it doesn't just mean going into the mall and going, praise the Lord. Because you know what? That doesn't tell anybody anything about God. All they know is you're excited about Him, and that's a good start. That's good. I'm not telling you not to do that, but follow it up with some actual praise. How do I praise God publicly? Tell people what He's done. That's right. Tell people. You know, I mean, so many of you have seen miracles even this week. Yes. Tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about what Jesus did for you. Tell them what a great God he is. That's praising him. That's lifting him up. And it says they were doing this. They were praising God. And they were having favor with all the people. That doesn't mean that everybody liked them. They they were really getting in lots of trouble with the powers that be and, and the religious leaders. But the people were believing. And they had favor with them. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved now until we get to this i'm not satisfied the lord was adding to their number day by day can you imagine every day you're just struggling to remember everybody's name because so many people are getting born again think about it stop stop making this fantasy land Stop making this fairy tale. Start believing that this is possible. That we get to the place where we're like, I don't know you, but I love you. Come over to my house. What's your name? How long have you been coming? Well, I mean, I just got born again on Wednesday. Well, praise God. Uh, Let me tell you some things I've I've learned. And and, and just come over to our house and have a meal with us. Can you imagine every day not being able to keep up with the numbers? Just day by day, people being added i tell you, Jerusalem was a big city. But what we call a big city in 2013 is different than what they called the a big city in 80, 33 or wherever, whenever it was. A big city, this would be a very big city. That's just the way the population's gone. There would have been bigger cities, yes, but Lord and Minister be con- considered a fairly big city. Sometimes we say, well, like, it's just not possible here. To have that many people born again—that's just not possible. Just—I know there were a lot of visitors the day that Peter gave his sermon. There were a lot of people from other places. Yeah, I know that. But what we see in these next few verses—it was that after that great sermon, after the three thousand, every day people were being born again. Every day people were so excited about Jesus. He's alive. He's alive. His spirit's in us. Here's the thing. For those that walked with Jesus, it must have been so amazing to to have that sensation that his spirit is right here. His spirit's in me. I mean, like, the stuff that we watched him do, I'm doing now, that must have been amazing. The things he was anointed to do, I'm anointed to do, that must have been awesome. What we need to do is take this out of fantasy land and put it back in reality. Can we do that? I want you to wash your mind of those preconceived notions of what religion has taught us we can believe. And I want us to finally just begin to believe the word of God that this is his destiny for our for the Church of Lloyd Minster, for the Church of Canada, for the Church of Jesus Christ all over the world. This is his destiny. That in the last days, your sons and your daughters would prophesy. Your old men would dream dreams. Your young men would see visions. And he would pour out his spirit on all mankind. This is the kind of stuff we we should be not, not accepting as run of the mill or taken for granted. But it should be regularly seen. A sense of awe. want us to think about what it means to continually feel a sense of awe, like doesn't let up, just a sense of awe all the time. Do you know that sounds so religious and polished, right? Oh, there was a great sense of awe in the room. You know, you described, oh, there was such a great sense of awe, but in reality, it means that they were freaked out all the time because of the things that God was doing that they couldn't comprehend. There was such a sense of being freaked out in a good way. Couldn't you believe what we saw today? Can you believe what God is doing? I have to believe it, but my brain doesn't get it. I'm in awe. <laughs> I mean, these aren't a bunch of people standing around in a temple just go. Oh. And, and there's a faint sense of a of a of a small breeze moving amongst them, and 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 there's just uh, some flutes in the background, and maybe maybe one of those you know wind chimes somewhere. It's a wood one, so it's not as harsh. And you know there's just a, a a tender feeling of I feel like maybe the spirits in the room. There was a sense of awe. Their minds were being stretched because God was doing such amazing things amongst them. And you know what? They were going home. It says. They were continually devoting themselves to teaching. What do you think they were talking about when they were breaking bread? Can you believe what we just heard? Whoa, let's talk about that. I am a firm believer, and I'm not just saying this because I'm preaching today, but I am a firm believer in talking about what was preached on Sunday. Because that word is a seed, and it hits your heart, and it's supposed to go down real deep and bear fruit. And one of the best ways for it to go down deep is for you to till your heart and, 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 and turn over the dirt a few times. Do you know how you turn the dirt over a few times? You talk about it again. You, get, you go home and you check it out in your Bible and go, let me see this. Man. You go back to your notes. You go back and listen to it again. You go and talk to your friends about it and say, "What did you get out of it?" Because I guarantee, the more you talk to your friends about it, the more revelation you're going to get. These are all building blocks to the church that Jesus died to to create and to give us a church in where there's awe all the time. A church where they're not just keeping the praise inside the building, but the praise is going out there. I mean, you're talking about it. A church where you're taking care of people that need to be taken care of. A church where people you normally wouldn't have anything to do with, now you're inviting to your home and eating with. A church where you're devoted to prayer. A church where you're devoting to the teaching of the word. A church where you could see yourself daily going to the temple. I'm not telling you we're starting services every day. But what if we could prepare our hearts? You know, I've studied some great revivals of the past few centuries, and it would seem that they were there every day. They went to work and at night. They did the work of the kingdom, whatever that looked like. I'm not trying to take all your time here. This isn't my way of instituting a new system where we're going to meet together. Because you know what? I don't believe this is something you force by the flesh. But I want to tell you, let's get excited and stretch our expectations. Let's stop being content. Let's stop being content with just saying, well... I think there's all the believers in Lord that there could be. Our best hope is that somebody just comes from another church. No. Let's stretch our expectations. Believe that every church that preaches the gospel in this city will be filled with the lost. That new believers are coming in. That miracles are taking place. That, that we're getting excited about prayer. If you're not excited to pray, don't go home and beat yourself up because you're not excited to pray. Ask for it. Ask for that hunger to pray. And you know what I find? When you really believe something's happening when you pray, it gets exciting. Ritualistic prayer, not only is it unscriptural, not only did Jesus speak against it, but guys, it is boring. Can I just tell you straight up, ritualistic prayer, just praying because you have to pray, is boring. But praying knowing that the effectual prayer of a righteous person does much, That it changes nations, that it shakes the planet. That when God, when you pray according to His will, He hears you, and when He hears you, you have whatever you've prayed for. That gets exciting. If there's a guy in a building somewhere up in in, on Baffin Island, in some in some shack with a big red button, that every time he presses it, there's a giant explosion. He doesn't say this is boring pressing this button. That's pretty cool, pressing that button. Because every time I press it, nobody's killed. It's somewhere up in the tundra, and there's just a huge explosion. All of a sudden, that is the coolest job in the world, because what you're doing is affecting something big. Some of us just pray like we're just pressing a red button just to keep ourselves busy, like it's that Staples, that was easy button, that was easy, that was easy, but it's not doing anything. The button's not connected to anything. Have you ever felt that way? I'm pressing a button. It's not connected to anything. But I got to press this button so the people around me don't think I've backslidden. (laughs) It's Monday night. Everybody got your red buttons? We got our red buttons. (laughs) Oh, we're supposed to get excited now. Press it faster. (laughs) Hold it up to the microphone. Click, 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 click. But it's all a show until you believe that every time you pray, angels start to move. That every time you pray, the hand of God lifts and begins to move. That every time you pray, things inside yourself begin to come alive. That every time we pray, thank God it's not a one-way conversation. But the God of history, the God of all creation speaks back man, that's an exciting prayer meeting. Thank God. I want us to read this from time to time. Go home and read it and say, I'm not satisfied with my current way of viewing the church until my way of viewing the church matches God's way of viewing the church. Once again, it's not going to look exactly like it did then. I believe it's going to look better. But let's get excited about what it's meant to be—to be a f- full of the Spirit group of people, filled with awe, filled with wonder, devoted to prayer, devoted to the Word, devoted to one another. Let's not settle for anything less than that. Let's let's keep our hope up, and let's—you know what—I I, I don't mean to be too dry about this, but I mean there are just certain things that you just. You, you can't expect to have the same results without some of the same factors involved I mean you can't just expect that, that awe and the miracles and everything is going to be there and you're devoted more to to television or work than, than God that's just not going to happen you got to be devoted you got to say we want it you got to go after it and you know what the great thing is God's not withholding he's not saying I don't want you to have it he's he's, he's set a table before you. He says, come eat, but you've got to walk to the table and pull up a chair. He's not going to force feed it down your gullet. You've got to want it. You've got you to say, okay, if I want it, I'll go get it. If I said, if I phoned you at 2.30 and I said, I have got $2 million check for you. I say $2 because some of you wouldn't even blink at $1 million. <laughs> But $2 million, yeah, okay. I got a $2 million check for you but you have to come down right now you wouldn't say oh gosh i don't know i i got stuff to do here you know i'm just busy can you wait you would drop everything and just go get the check when god is offering so much why are we putting it further down the priority list this is the big priority and guess what You look at, you devote yourself to his kingdom. Let me paraphrase what Jesus said. You seek and and you devote yourself to his kingdom. He'll take care of everything else. He will take care of all the other details. Let's believe that, amen.